thank you for coming. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk with you. Uh, I'm not the traveling speaker, you know. I feel like a little bit like Ruth and Naomi, who both traveled from the culture and the home that they were familiar with to another place and had to adjust and figure out what to do, how to do life in that spot. <clears throat> so, all right, 10.30 at night, I'm packing and trying to figure out what do you, what do you take to Dillon, Colorado? I grew up in New York State. I went to college near Chicago. I worked in Cleveland, and then I moved to Dallas to work and go to school and so on. And I got to tell you, it does not snow in May. <laughs> it just doesn't. So I'm looking at my, at my fun phone, you know, and it says 37 degrees in Dillon. That's winter, <laughs> way winter. All right, so what am I supposed to bring? And, and then, and get on the airplane, and which, what, what are the rules now, you know, for what you can take and what you can't take, and what kind of plastic bag it has to be in. And, and then, oh, oh dear, which glasses work in this light? Uh, oh, okay, I guess, oh, these are a little better, because, you know, Elevation changes things, and <laughs> yeah. All right, so, and then, what, every church has its own culture and ways of doing things, so I'm supposed to show up and have the right clothes. And Chuck and Jim have talked about this. They laugh at me and Nancy when we're packing because we're trying to figure out what goes with what and what shoes you have to have. And, and I'm thinking, well, now, am I, should I look like where I come from? Or should, should, I, should I take a cue from Jim and, and, <laughs> and wear my Birkenstocks? I just don't know. Okay, so I feel for Naomi and Ruth. <laughs> now, okay, so let me, I'm going to try to find that passage in the Bible here so that we can walk our way through it and tell the story, look at some things that I think are interesting, and I hope you do too, and that they'll be helpful to you as you think about who you are on an everyday basis, on an average day, when you know the Lord, or when you might like to get to know the Lord. Hmm. Well, all right. So, okay, first I have to find out, are there any people in here who um, are normal? I mean, like regular people. Okay, I've got it. I can't, I'll ask just a few questions, and we'll, we'll establish this. Okay, is there anybody here who um, ate something this morning? 
All right. Um, anybody here who cleaned up dishes afterwards? <laughs> uh-huh. Yep, yep. There's a few people who did that. Um, hmm. People who travel occasionally. Hmm? Anything traveling done? Yeah. Oh. Anybody here who in the last couple of years has attended a wedding? Hmm? Wedding? Anybody here like within your like immediate family, you know, kids, grandkids, or grandchildren, cousins or whatever, who, yeah, you know somebody or you are someone who has had a baby in the last couple of years? Babies, weddings, whoa. Anybody who's seen a loved one die? Yeah. Gone to a funeral. A lot of life, that's like to me, a lot of people living life on an everyday basis with all of the things that are part of it. Sad and happy times and a whole lot of regular. And regular is not always easy. And sometimes it's a little strange, you know? Because regular in one spot can be a bit different in another when you go there. As soon as I get to Jim and Nancy's house, they start telling me, or on the way, actually, they're telling me, what do you have to do with the shower? <laughs> you know, and what, where the doors have to be. Okay, let me see, try not to, and, you know. If you travel overseas at all, you can look at something and it will look entirely normal to you. A light switch, for example. And then you try to turn the light on and it works precisely opposite to the way you think it will. <laughs> yeah, so there's always something to figure out. And like some of that is actually pretty good for the brain cells. You know, it's nice to take a different route and it's good for you, but it is wearing at times. So Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and all the townspeople uh, in Bethlehem were living in a culture that we're pretty, you know, it's been a long time since, since then. Oh, hmm. 3,000 years and a bit more. And uh, And some of the things that we might read would, would kind of ju just go past us and not necessarily make a big impression. But the big thing, one of the big things we can see when we look through the whole deal is there's nothing really special going on in a way. People are living and dying and, and raising crops and, and gathering crops and wanting to be married and not being married and burying people. And it's all terribly normal. And if we look at it initially, we would think there's nothing special about this. Just like you might look at your life and think, yeah, there's nothing special about this. But they didn't know exactly how special things were. They couldn't see all the way into the future that choices that they were making would make a difference in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. Huh. Well, okay, but first, let's go back and take, just start through, and let me find that clock, okay, and try to end at the end time. Now, 
first thing this tells us, this story tells us, is that during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. So right away we think, oh, a famine in the land, and we might skip the fact that this is happening during the time of the judges. Does that matter? Well, it matters if you've read the book of Judges, you realize, oh, this is a really scary time with a lot of ups and downs, goods and bads that took place, but mostly bad. Very often in the book of Judges, they, the author says that everyone did what, is what was right in his own eyes. There was no king. So everybody's kind of doing what they want to do. They're not really, most of them, doing what the Lord wants them to do. They're doing what suits them, what pleases them. And if one of, our, one of my colleagues has talked a bit, and I've listened, and I thought, oh, I think you're right, about the argument of the book of Judges. And he says, the way he summed it up was, the situation of women in the book of Judges is a little bit like canaries in coal mines. Back when, coal miners didn't have a way to test for gas. You, I think it's methane gas that, that can kill people. And sometimes there are deposits underground, and they need to know about that. So they would take a cage with a canary in it, and if the canary starts to feel a little iffy and is lying on the bottom of the cage, they know it's time for the people to get out. Well, the situation of women goes downhill in such a way that in the beginning of the book, very first chapter of the book, there's a woman named Aksa, who's the daughter of a hero, gets to marry a hero. Her father gives them a nice prime piece of property, and her husband says, oh, you think your dad would give us uh, a set of springs to go with this? Uh, so we would have water? Oh, sure, I'll go ask him. So he, she asks, he says, yeah, take these springs to go with the, the, the property that you're going to um, develop. You, you think, okay, great, there's been a wedding, there's going to be kids, they're, they're, here are good people doing normal things, doing life in the way that they ought to do. The last part of the book of Judges is horrendous. People are, people are, there are people who are acting as if they were living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's a woman who is so horribly abused that she dies and, is, and her sort of husband cuts her up and sends her to all the tribes to say, look at this, look at what a thing has happened and now what are we going to do about it? And then they nearly destroy a whole the whole tribe of Benjamin, which was going to be the gene pool for King Saul and Jonathan and Mephibosheth and, oh, by the way, the Apostle Paul. So we're pretty glad that they decided not to wipe the whole tribe out. Aha. Okay. So beginning of the book of Judges, you have an ideal situation going on for everyday life. And in the last of the book of Judges, you have an example of the worst ever. The worst possible just about the worst possible. So what happens in the book of Ruth is going on at that time. 
So once in a while, as you're reading through the book, and you'll, you'll notice that there are little hints of the danger, little warnings, four different words that are used that are, t that are talking about trouble that could come, and a little warning here and there for Ruth. Well, it'll be better if you stay with his maidservants. It'll be better if you stay in this field and not that field. And I'm telling the, the guys not to bother you and so on. Little warnings, hints of the possible danger. Well, during the time of the judges, there was a famine in, a man, in the land, and a man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Machlon and Kilion. And then we find out that the names of their, they get married, and the names of their wives were Orpah and Ruth. And we've taken up quite a lot of time with names at the beginning of the book. And then you see the word names showing up frequently in the book. In fact, there's only one book in the Old Testament that uses the word name more times proportionately than Ruth does. You know, per thousand words. There are longer books with more uses of, of the word, but Ruth is the second, has the second most dense number of uses of the word name. Names were important in the book for a couple of reasons. Now, right out at the front here, a little thing that I like that's part, I think, of the artistry of the book is that we could, the, man, the, the author of the book could have given us the names of everybody really right up front. For example, it could say this, a man named Elimelech left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Machlon and Kilion, to live in the land of Moab, all right? But it doesn't. It leaves that blank for a while, then comes back, and we have a whole other sentence. And in that second sentence, the man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, the names of his two sons were Machlon. Oh, so far as the telling of the story goes, that naming of the people is giving the story time, so to speak, for the families to travel from Bethlehem to Moab. So the, the author is retarding the action in that way. So that, oh, we're just, we're, we're letting this sink in. They're going to Moab, and then we listen to the names. And they're tra as they're traveling, we hear the names while they're traveling. And then we can focus on them Ah, entering the land of Moab and settling there, Naomi's husband Elimelech died, and she was left with her two sons. So now we think, well, probably this, well, Elimelech's gone, probably it'll be a story about the two sons and their wives and what happened. No, uh, the sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. They lived in Moab about 10 years. Both Machlon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Well, time came that Naomi heard that there was food again in Judah, in Bethlehem, and she decided to go back home. And her daughters-in-law went along with her on the road to returning, and she urged them to go back to Moab. Now, I should mention, Moab is getting mentioned uh, quite a bit. 
And uh, hmm, Moab, not a place you want to be brought up in in that era. So without going into details, I'll just say this. Moab was not a great place to be brought up. And here was Ruth, who was brought up in Moab. Okay, so if you are thinking about Ruth, you might think, oh, really? Ruth was, so to speak, brought up on the other side of the tracks. She didn't have a really good cultural background, you might say. Um, but she decided she wanted to go with her mother-in-law to Bethlehem. And people have wondered why ever since. We'll talk a little bit about that. Because her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to them, don't come with me. Go back home. Because Naomi was convinced that for the, these daughters-in-law to survive, they would need to have husbands. She had no way to provide them with husbands, no thought that they would get husbands if they went with her. And so they should go home and maybe they would have homes back in Moab. She even prayed that the Lord would enable each of them to find security in the house of her husband. And she kissed them and they wept. No, they said to her, we'll go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to give you, have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourself from marrying? No, my daughters. My life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And they wept loudly. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. And I'm thinking, you just told. Okay, you are from Bethlehem, where people are supposed to be worshiping the Lord. And you just told your two daughters-in-law, to go back home and go back to worshiping, if they ever stopped, worshiping the gods of Moab. Why didn't Ruth take her up on that? Orpah did. She says, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, do not attempt to persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she ceased speaking with her. And I, I have this, I hear the silence. Now I don't know that they, she didn't talk to her at all. But she didn't, we don't hear her saying, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It'll be, it'll, it's, you make it so much easier. I, I wish I could, could offer you some, some hope that things will be better when we get back to Bethlehem. But she didn't. 
as I read Naomi's story and listen to her talk here and in the next, next part, I think she sounds pretty depressed. And I can't say I blame her. She's a bit like Job, isn't she? Everyone in her immediate family, that she, her husband, her children, gone. Her hope for the future, her thoughts of anything better in life are over. And, and yet, Ruth decided to go with her. And they traveled and got to Bethlehem. And the local women said, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. The Almighty has made me very bitter. The, the name Mara is connected to the word bitter in Hebrew. They sound the same. I went away full, but the Lord has, the Lord, hear that, the Lord has brought me back empty. So she sees the Lord as her enemy. Why do you call me Naomi? They knew that the name Naomi was connected with a word that meant pleasant. It had a, a positive ring to it. Don't call me Naomi. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has spoken against me. And the Almighty has afflicted me. So, Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. And they arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And then, we get a little hint from the author that somebody special is coming. When I talked about this in class one time, one of the guys said, oh yeah, this is the part where my wife nudges me. And when we're watching the movie, he says, oh, this is going to be important. Pay attention. Right? <laughs> He's clueless. All right. Now, <laughs> Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. Whoa, interesting. In Hebrew, fancy eyes, ish gibor chayev. The ish, normal word for man, gibor, a word for man um, that's sometimes used for warrior. And then chayel, that has to do with strength, valor, significance, substance. Indi this probably indicates that Boaz was a man of some substance in the community who would, if the community is attacked, be in charge of organizing everyone that worked for him to defend the town, to defend the, the part of the village that he was in. Later on, when Boaz provides what amounts to a character reference for Ruth, he calls her an eshet chayel. He uses that same word, that same adjective to describe her that the narrator uses to describe him. So what we have is a matched pair. We're going to see, I hope, well, if we don't see it today, we'll see it another day. All right. 
We'll get, we'll get how far we can. All right, so Ruth decides, I want to go glean. We have to eat. And in Israel at that time, there was a law that if you owned property and you had a crop, you were meant to go out and, and gather the grapes or the grain, whatever, or the olives, and, and leave kind of the corners and the edges and a little bit extra that you didn't pick up. You wouldn't try to pick up everything, but you would leave some for others who, who were poor so, and needed some help. So Naomi said, go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain. Turns out Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. Remember, he's going to be significant. All right. He said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. So the first words out of his mouth have to do with a recognition of God's sovereignty and presence and awareness of all that they were doing. That they were harvesting grain in the barley harvest. So he, it seems, had a reputation for um, being a man of, of faith. Boaz asked his servant, who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? And right away, I look out at my class and I think, okay, there's going to be somebody, they read that, they're going to think that, that Boaz is rude and that he thinks of women as property because he's asking whose as he put it, or you know, whose uh, young woman is this? Well, if you look around in the Old Testament, you find out when they want to know who somebody is, they ask that kind of question of everyone. It's a way, it's just how they, want, how they find out who people are. They didn't come with last names, right? They didn't? No. They were identified by their connections. I've had students in class, a couple of them, who came from Ethiopia, and one of them in particular told me, well, I didn't have a last name until I needed a passport to get to the United States. <laughs> and so he had to think, okay, well, what am I going to use for a last name? So he picked one of his grandfather's names and used it as a, as a last name, uh, uh, you know, for the purposes of his passport. So... Um, the, the servant answered, she's a young Moabite woman. Now, if she had been related to anybody that they knew, she, he would have said, well, she's so-and-so's daughter or so-and-so's sister, you know, somebody that they knew. But all they know is that he, he, he knows that she, he can identify, identify her as the Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And he explained how she'd been working all day. And Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter. Notice he uses the same words to refer to her that Naomi did. It's a way of showing that um, he recognizes her significance and that it puts a little distance between them. He's, it shows that he's a little older than she is and that she's, there's a kind of familiness about it. Don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one. But stay close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. 
haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you're thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. And so, here I am with my bottle of water. As soon as I come to, to Colorado, they say to me, drink water. Before I came, they said, start drinking water right away. It's very important. And if you're a young woman who's going out to glean in a field, you need water. And if you have to bring it all with you in the morning, it's going to be heavy. And if you have to stop working in order to go to the well to get water, it takes away from your time to gather grain. So right away, Boaz is thinking, this person needs water. She won't know that she, that, there's, that she has permission to do this thing. I'm going to give her permission. So he begins thinking about what her needs are. Well, hmm, what's that thing say? That says 929. I'm supposed to stop at 930. <laughs> we didn't finish the story. I'm going to finish the story, though. Sort of, because, you know, it's in your Bible. So you can go back and read it. And the big idea that I wanted to, well, sort of the big idea that I wanted to leave you with was that if you look at Ruth, you see someone who had a lot of deficits. She grew up in a pagan culture. They practiced child sacrifice for crying out loud. She was living in the time of the judges in Israel, abysmal time, yeah, with some bright spots, but mostly pretty bad. So the culture is dangerous and scary, and, and she doesn't really have the very best of people telling her about the Lord, does she? Not, you know, not with Naomi. But she became convinced that the Lord was someone she wanted to worship. And as a result, out of becoming, getting to know him, she began to care about the people around her. And she made choices to act on behalf of this family in ways that she didn't have to. Boaz says, you're asking me to marry you? You could have, you could have had any of the young guys, rich or poor. But she explained to him, no. We have to raise, we need to preserve the name of the dead. And that requires progeny. And we need to take care of this property. We need a redeemer for that. And he, she explained the whole thing to him. And he caught on right away and began explaining, well, there's a closer kinsman. And I need to, need to take care of his interests. So we'll, we'll do it all upright and I'll take care of it today. You just be quiet and, you know, just rest and I'll, I'll look into it and he does he goes gets all the people gathered you know the right number of witnesses and the author takes a good deal of time to explain all about the shoe thing um taking off the shoes and, you know, and I'm thinking you could have skipped that and the story would have been clear because even the people he was writing for hadn't heard about it customs come and go it could, within a hundred years, you can lose a custom. I mean, you folks have lost the, the original town. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's gone. Nobody knows how we did it back then. <laughs> All right, so 
the author has to explain this, and he takes the time to do that so that we'll know, the readers will know, that Boaz was doing everything by, uh, out in the open so as to take care of the interests of others. And it turns out that Paul, one of the people whose gene pool was preserved when Benjamites were in trouble, uh, he wrote over here in Romans that whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus so that you may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. And later he says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy as you believe in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that is my prayer for you today. Uh, and I hope that you will have a chance to go back, finish the story, and find out, as I have had, that you can read this over and over again, year after year, and find out there's much more to see. Thank you. Going to ask the uh, ushers to come and get ready to receive the offering. When uh, you can imagine weeks and weeks and weeks of just sitting listening to her talk through various Old Testament books, it was great. When um, when Nancy and I decided to become missionaries, we had to raise five thousand a month. This was a number of years ago, twenty years ago, and our very first donor who committed was a young girl who committed a dollar a month. <laughs> and I received the commitment. It was out of our allowance, a dollar a month. And my first thought was, a dollar? i got to raise 5000 And then I immediately felt the shame of that and checked my theology. So I wrote her a letter and said, here's all the things that I can do with a dollar mm. to share the gospel. <laughs> she stuck with us the whole time. It, but she eventually got to a dollar and a half because her allowance went up. And so uh, I tell you that story because uh, the connection between we're just ordinary people. I love it. Just ordinary people doing what God wants us to do. And uh, I'm very thankful for your generosity. I don't care whether it's a million bucks or a dollar. Um, what's important to me is that you're just generous, and I just appreciate that. Let me pray for you and ask God to bless you. Father, I do pray for this congregation. Thank you for their love for you their love for Nancy and me, the love for our elders, our staff, for our ministry. Father, their uh, generosity, they take such very good care of us. And uh, they make it possible for us to do ministry as ordinary people doing what, uh, what you've asked us to do so that you can accomplish things way beyond, way beyond our vision, way beyond our abilities. Thank you for that. So I pray that you would bless these people, Lord. Your face to shine on them that you would bless them financially lord for uh, their willingness to bless us in jesus name amen thank you through the world secret code 
Savior say, thy strength endures none. Child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow ask the communion servers and those praying to come up and prepare us for communion the uh, very last couple of verses of Ruth tell us that Ruth and Boaz ended up marrying as Dorian said and uh, they were the grandparents of King David so they represent the uh, line of Christ in a very dark, terrible time. We are here today, we, we are here as believers because of what they did, because of their faithfulness. And uh, again, the story of communion is so familiar. I hope it stays familiar. I hope you love it. I just hope you don't ignore it. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Um, every time we celebrate this, we proclaim his death. It's the one thing we do as a church that, that celebrates what he did for us. And this is all possible because of uh, Ruth and Boaz. I don't, I don't even, as Dorian said, I don't even think they knew. They just were doing their thing, just like we do our things. And who knows what the Lord's going to do with it you come up to receive communion, somebody will say to you, this is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. We also have people up here to pray. I'm here and I sit down here and, just, and uh, we'd love for you to stop and just pray with us. Tell us what's going on. How can we pray? Maybe you have a praise the way God has blessed you. Maybe you're, uh, maybe you're feeling bitter. <laughs> I love that about Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. Well, I've been there. You've been there. We'll stop and pray about it. So when you come to take communion, Let's pray together. We don't have a particular practice. You can take it here. You can take it back to your seat and reflect on it. You can like to invite you to kneel on the steps here and just think about what God has done. And uh, What's most important is that you remember the Lord. Together we proclaim his death, the good news that he didn't forget us. He remembered us. 